Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Effective Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today I'm joined by my very good friend, Kelly Bell. Thank you, Kelly, for coming and joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Now, today we're going to be chatting about something that we are both quite passionate about. So we're going to be looking at how we can help our students, our students, our teachers. <laughs> we're going to be talking about how we can help our teachers with their well-being to avoid burnout and all those types of things. And this is something that you've been passionate about for a long time. It's something that you know, I just released a book on this week. And so, Kelly, can you tell me, how do you prevent burnout? So, um, in a nutshell, that's a, I suppose, a little question, but has um, multiple answers. So, I, um, I can kind of put my hand up and say that I, uh, in a past life, I was really good at protecting myself. Um, but when I um, fell into a leadership role at a new school, I really kind of experienced it firsthand um, of that burnout. I remember my assistant principal um, at my school in Sydney saying to me, um, you know, he said something like on, on a Christmas card, Kel, you know, keep that kind of fire burning, but you need to really protect yourself because you're going to become burnt out. And um, I wish I kept that Christmas card because kind of, you know, fast track 12 years later, um, even as, you know, a super experienced teacher, I did experience it firsthand. And I think for me, it wasn't, I, I think on reflection, it was probably not setting firm boundaries um, for myself, um, but also for my colleagues as well. Because I was relieving head teacher PE and wellbeing um, for one term and then re- relieving head teacher PE for, um, what was it, two and a half years. So, I think really the first thing is to put yourself as number one. And I know that kind of goes without saying, but um, as a parent, I think we're good at doing that. We kind of go, okay, well, if I if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to crank, be cranky the next day with the kids or I'm going to um, not be able to kind of support them. I think it's the same for us as teachers. If we don't support ourselves, the number one, um, you know, those um, those issues that you kind of might rear that rear that ugly head the next day or the next week or the next month kind of um, cascaded from there. So I think it is about getting um, a lot of sleep, enough sleep. But um, you know, our job is so encompassing. You know, it's very emotional, and I think many of us um, kind of don't um, don't take enough time for ourselves. And I think getting enough sleep is one one big thing. I know when I was relieving head teacher, I would sit up to midnight um, every night and get up the next day to go to the gym and still expect for me to be able to function exactly the same way um, as what I used to. So um, getting enough sleep, and I think it's so tempting for us as teachers to get our laptop out um, as soon as, you know, the kids or as soon as, you know, um, dinner's done to then kind of start work um, again. When I was reading your book, because I had the privilege of um, reading your book before it was released, um, you spoke about that, you know, it's really important to get enough sleep, but also to shut that lid down and to go, you know what, enough's enough. Um, I've done enough work for today. Um, it's time to actually get some sleep. And, you know, being PE teachers, we know the importance of sleep. I mean, most people do know the importance of sleep, but it does really catch up with you. Um, for me, it was going to bed at 12 o'clock, getting up the next day at five, and then doing that all over again, and then again, and again. And I think in my first year um, on the coast, teaching um, at a you know large senior campus, um, relieving head teacher, I got shingles in the July. So came back from, what was that, term three school holidays, And I was presenting down in Sydney. Again, I was probably doing way too much. Um, You know, that's when I was president of ACHBA, um, wearing other leadership roles, uh, like, little, you know, doing lots of little things. Um, But I remember presenting one day and I kind of had this rash and I showed one of my friends and and she said, oh, Kel, that doesn't look too good. And I thought, oh, whatever, I'll be fine. Kind of went home and then about 9 o'clock at night, I kind of, you know, thought to myself, okay, this rash isn't going away. And I um, FaceTime my auntie who's a, 
um, a nurse and she said, Kel, you've got shingles. Get yourself to the doctor. You need to get something for that straight away. And, yeah, I got there and, yeah, the doctor confirmed that, yep, you've got shingles. And I thought, what the hell? I thought shingles is something that, you know, an old person gets, an aged individual gets, but not, um, you know, I was, what, 38 at the time and, no, maybe even 37. Anyway, someone in there, you know, late 30s shouldn't get shingles. But I think for me it finally caught up with me. I was doing way too much. I was trying to do a thousand different things and it did, um, it, it showed, you know, showed physically and I was trying to do too much. And I think. For me, it wasn't putting those firm boundaries in place to go, okay, I can only do so much. It's only, you know, six hours of work in a day um, plus maybe maybe an hour here or there, you know, either side of the school day. But um, I think for me that's the one thing, not getting enough sleep. You know, I was still eating okay. I was still doing enough exercise. But for me that sleep um, was really, you know, was really the big thing I think that kind of spiralled. I did put on heaps of weight that year as well um, in that first year of teaching um, at, at the senior campus and um yeah anyway that was that was an interesting experience getting shingles and I think I had only had a week off I should have had a lot longer um but kind of you know got myself up out of bed went to school I was even doing our um, faculty handbook because we had a lot of things that weren't in place at the school so I was actually writing a faculty handbook as I was in bed with shingles so yeah not ideal at all there <laughs> was a little bit like you were a workaholic there Kelly yeah, maybe. <laughs> I've got to say, something you've mentioned in there is that you were doing lots of little things as well. And I think as teachers, that's one of the things that really sucks us into the whole burning yourself out is that you just go, oh, it's just something small. I'll just do this. I'll just do that. But eventually you're doing 20 or 30 of these little things that just consumes just little bits of your time. But together, it adds up to being so much of your time that it becomes really difficult to then manage that time and to find time for yourself. And, you know, I grew up, both my parents used to, I have memories, you know, I, was a, I was a kid, but they used to work till one o'clock even. And then they'd be up, like you were saying, like at five, trying to get everyone ready to go to school and all that kind of stuff. And I saw that and it made me not want to be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and Kelly, what do you think leaders could be or should be doing at the moment to really help our teachers? I mean, this last two years has been terrible for teachers with COVID and constantly changing what they're doing, changing how they're teaching stuff. We've had remote learning, blended learning. We've had them back in at school with massive restrictions around on them. What should leaders be doing to support our teachers' well-being and make sure that we're avoiding burnout for them? You know, first and foremost is going, what can I do to support my staff? Um, engaging that. If people are having days off, there's data. Like I, I'm not good at maths. I'm going to say that out loud, but I love data um, and I love looking at, you know, those patterns. And I think if your staff are taking days off, that's telling you that they need some time. They need time off um, because they're feeling stressed or they're feeling under the pump. Um, so you as a leader, as a principal, as a deputy, whoever, your head teacher admin, um, whoever's doing um, the casual, you know, it could be anyone in schools. We know that. Like, it could be anyone. It could be the, you know, first year out PE teacher. It could be the, um, you know, the, the principal sometimes even in small schools still doing that role. If your staff are taking days off and you can see those patterns emerging, that's like alarm bells for you as the, as the, the principal or as the leader that, okay, these guys are feeling under the pump. I need to work out a way to actually support them. Um, one other, and that could look a thousand different ways, which I'll probably get into, but the other thing that you can also do is just sense that vibe. If they're distant, if you can see them hiding away, and I think you spoke about this in your book, which I absolutely loved, 
Um, I worked for a principal who was against this. So she would talk about us being in that um, collegial um, staff room working together. I'm like, I can't get any bloody work done when there's people <laughs> around me. They, they keep talking or they're on their phones talking about other rubbish, you know, that's with their personal life. And once you start to try to advocate for that, um, that was shut down. No, you're not going to your classroom. And I started to, at one stage, I started to go to my classroom because I couldn't concentrate there. Some of our work is deep work, and you talk about deep work in your book as well, but um, some of our work is really deep work. I'm talking about writing assessment tasks, programming, marking. You can't sit at your desk and do that. And I think, um, you know, I think schools should, should provide spaces um, that help people do that, like a really, you know, a really good workspace where you don't have those distractions. Many schools are designed because it's, I think you speak about this in your book too, that, um, you know, many schools are designed because it's cheaper to have big open plan staff rooms, throw a run in, expect them to actually get some work done, but it's not conducive for time, but also for our wellbeing, having people constantly in your ear crapping on about something that's not related to work, but also um, distracting you. I think... Um, I've worked in two open plan staff rooms. One was like with about 30 teachers, so half the staff. One was with our whole staff. Um, I was lucky. I was I was a pastoral coordinator for, for four years, so we had our separate staff room. But then we kind of had discussions like, oh, do we miss being part of the, the general staff kind of um, and that banter? But, look, at the end of the day, we're there to do a job, and if we can't do our job effectively, um, then we need to work out some, some sort of way. Um, I don't know. I think you speak about this in your book. Signs, you know, that people are doing some deep work. They've got the, their AirPods in or their earphones in. But I think that space is really important because it does. Some of it, some of our things, like, like marking, you need complete silence. You can't expect someone to um, be able to do some deep work or some actual proper work without those distractions. Um, for leaders, I think it's also um, cutting right back on your admin. Again, you talk about this in your book and every every time I kind of read something like, yes, yeah, like this, this is exactly right. This is exactly what we need to be doing. Uh, I remember working for, uh, working with um, a curriculum coordinator um, back at my school in Sydney, which great operator. He came into our school. He really shifted what we did in our, um, in our classrooms and with assessment tasks. But he also was really good at, um, you know, saying, why are we having a meeting for meeting's sake? So he would call, um, call it administrivia. Why are we actually doing this? Um, you know, why are we having a meeting every Tuesday morning and then repeating what we would do um, at the, the staff meeting the week before? Or um, just that, that, I suppose, those admin tasks that we shouldn't be doing as teachers. We're not, um, you know, we're not, we're not business administrators. We didn't go to uni to, to do business. We went to, um, to university to educate and to learn how to educate young people. That's our core business. We need to get back to our core, core business. Some schools are starting to get it right, I think, um, you know, getting, you know, putting photocopying in. When I worked in the public system, that was one really positive thing. We put our photocopying in as long as we were organised um, and, you know, our SAS staff would then have that photocopied up for us, um, which was fantastic. Someone who was actually designated to do the photocopying, you know, binding, laminating, all that kind of jazz. Um, but I think um, there's, there's still so much in teaching that we shouldn't be doing. Um, making phone calls home, spending hours and hours on end calling parents to say, "Oh, well, why isn't this person in my classroom?" Or they're away from school. No, that that can be that's a that's an admin thing that can be easily done by someone over the phone. Um, creating um, you know spreadsheets for something or um, all those admin tasks that we do day to day. And we and I can feel like myself getting a bit tense about this, thinking about it because there's so much that happens in our school day 
that I would love for us to get back to our core business, actually quality, um, you know, teaching and learning, that pedagogy and we're really working out better ways to teach our kids or more efficient ways to, to or effective ways to really work with our students. And I think cutting that admin right back is really important um, and out, like, you know, we say outsourcing in the business world, but it's getting the, te- you know, the people who are employed to do, to do that job to actually do that, um, you know, on the ground. I think um, for us as PE teachers, many um, many of us take on so many hats, you know, keen, young or um, just keen to get involved. We often wear lots of hats. Um, and I think carnivals and that type of thing, excursions or camps, we often spend so much time on, you know, chasing up money or chasing up. We can't really do that anymore. <laughs> it's often done by the office, but, you know, commission notes, that should all be done by, you know, our admin staff, um, SAS staff in, in the public system, but then our admin staff in the in um, other systems. Um, so, that yeah, that's another thing I think um, schools could, could possibly do. But I think for me, meetings was a really big one. Um, as I mentioned, meeting for meeting's sake, what is the point of doing a meeting if you're going to repeat the same stuff that you already said to your um, to your leaders or you're repeating the same messages? Send me an email. Send me an email. If you can send me an email and provide that information, that is so much more efficient than making me sit there for half an hour, an hour, two hours of a meeting just for meeting's sake. And I think I worked for a boss who actually looked at the clock and went, okay, it's not three o'clock yet. We're going to keep our meeting going because we haven't actually, um, you know, um, gone to that meeting time. I remember coming out of those meetings sometimes two hours later, two and a half hours later, but no one said no. No one said, you know, why are we actually still sitting here? We have families. We have places to go. Some, you know, some people lived an hour away. Why are we still sitting here um, despite finishing our meeting? I think in my first year, um, on the Central Coast, because the school was very different to what I was used to, I started to try to advocate for some of these changes. Um, One effective change was made at an executive level where um, our meetings were literally just repeating stuff we had already done. Or you could have written that in an email to me and that would have taken me about two minutes to read rather than make me sit here for two hours. I said to um, our deputy principal, because I was on the, um, what was it called, on the professional learning team, Again, I put my hand up for probably too many things, but um, I said to her, look, what do you think about us having our um, head teacher meetings as like a professional learning meeting rather than just having an admin, you know, just regurgitate like, you know, admin stuff? How about we kind of um, use that as a professional learning um, opportunity for us as head teachers um, in that space? And we were kind of going through a bit of a, um, a change in formative assessment. It wasn't in the school yet, so that was kind of coming in as well 10 years later. Uh, 10 years behind, but um, we started to do that. We then in the, in the next year we had a head teacher share, so we would take turns, just 10 minutes, to share something that was happening in our faculty, like um, new practice or a new way of marking. And that was really, I really loved that. I really loved um, that time, um, us sharing what was happening um, in our faculties. But, yeah, meetings for meetings' sake is, is pointless, and I think um, we just need to do an, a massive overhaul over what we do in schools. Um, schools are becoming like businesses but they're not acting like businesses. They're not efficient. There is so much time wasting that is happening in schools that I think we need to have a really good hard look at ourselves and go, okay, we need to be working smarter. We need to be working more efficiently because at the end of the day, we are working for, you know, for that, um, for our students, but also um, schools are like businesses. Schools have budgets and, you know, millions and millions of dollars um, are invested in our teachers. Um, let's go, kind of go back to that core business of teaching 
Um, that that would be a whole other conversation, I think, about what we could do um, in that. But, yeah, so there, I suppose there are a few little things. You know, um, coming back on the admin, working out what we're doing with meetings, um, giving our teachers some more, um, you know, more productive workspaces, and I can't remember what the other one was. I, said, but <laughs> I don't know, just, just working so much more efficiently, I think. Yeah. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today for this show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Not a problem. Can you just let the listeners know where they can come and connect with you? I know you've just released your own podcast. Can you tell them a little bit about that and where they can come and find you with your business as well? Yeah, no worries. So um, I run a professional learning organisation called The Learning Network. Um, basically, I support community and family studies teachers in New South Wales. Um, so a very small group of beautiful CAFS teachers, um, but you can find me at thelearnet.com. Um, but my podcast is on Apple and Spotify, The Learning Network podcast. So very easy to find me. You'll find me on um, Instagram at thelearnet and Facebook um, with, the, with the same kind of handle. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Not a problem, Kelly. Now, guys, if you would like to grab the show notes for this episode, you can head over to teacherspd.net slash 97. And of course, if you enjoyed the episode, we would love it if you left a review and make sure you subscribe to come back and join me next week.